I think you'll get more out of the messages that we bring from this pulpit if you'll bring your Bible with you to church and follow along in the reading of God's Word. We preach the Bible, we teach the Bible, we believe the Bible is God's Word, and we call that to your attention because it's the most important printed book in the world, God's blessed Word. I want you to turn to the Old Testament today, to the little book of Jonah, the little book of Jonah. Now, if you have a little difficult finding it, it's page 1125 in my Bible. I don't know which one you have, but sometimes I get all squirreled out when I'm trying to find books like Obadiah and something like that. I go and cheat. I go to the book of index and find out where it's located. Book of Jonah. Whenever I preach the series on Jonah, it lasts for nine weeks. Now, I'm not going to keep you for nine weeks this morning. But there is a message in the book of Jonah that we need to stress. It's such a great and marvelous book. Our Lord did not mention books so much by their name except when it came to the book of Jonah. He mentioned him by name. The book of Jonah, chapter number 1, verses 1 through 17. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it. For their wickedness is come up before me. But Jonah had other ideas, didn't he? But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, And went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof, and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a great or a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken." Then the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God. And they cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship and he lay and was fast asleep. So the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper, arise, call upon thy God, if so be? that God will think upon us that we perish not. And they said, Everyone to his fellow, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell upon Jonah. Then said they unto him, Tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us. What is your occupation? Where comest thou, or where did you come from? Where is thy people, or of what people art thou? He said unto them, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord. Now, I don't know, it doesn't say, but I think he probably almost choked on that one. I fear the Lord. It sounds like you're fearing the Lord, doesn't it? 
I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which made the sea and the dry land. Then were the men exceedingly afraid. Said unto him, Why have you done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then said they unto him, What shall we do unto thee, that the sea may be calm unto us? For the sea wrought and was tempestuous. And he said unto them, Take me up, cast me forth into the sea, so shall the sea be calm unto you. For I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring it to land, but they could not, for the sea wrought and was tempestuous against them. Wherefore they cried unto the Lord and said, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not upon us innocent blood, for thou, O God, O Lord, hast done as it pleased thee. So they took up Jonah, cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from her raging. And the men feared the Lord exceedingly. And offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now chapter 1 provides us with the background for this story. Our text, however, is taken from chapter 2. Verses 9 through 10, which says this, But I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. And the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. Someone has rightly said, Jonah had a threefold theology. Number one, he said, I'll go and preach as long as it doesn't cost me anything. Number two, he said, I'll go and preach as long as it's to the people I want to preach to. And number three, he said, I'll never go swimming again. There are two main projected pictures in the book of Jonah. You cannot escape it when you compare it with the New Testament. You find a picture of the gospel. You find a picture of how God saves sinners. Take a moment, come back to Jonah, but take a moment, go to Matthew, the first gospel of the New Testament, chapter number 12. The book of Matthew, chapter number 12. Verses 38 through 40. Then certain of the scribes and the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. But he answered and said unto them, An evil and an adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. There shall no sign be given to thee, but the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights 
in the heart of the earth. Our Lord used Jonah as a type of what would happen to he himself. Namely, it would deal with his death, burial, and resurrection. Notice the wording of that scripture we read, as Jonah, so Christ. As Jonah, so Christ. Whatever happened to Jonah in type and in picture is going to happen to Jesus Christ. Jonah is going to die. Now I know it's a common conception that Jonah did not die when they threw him overboard. He was alive in that fish's stomach and God got him out. No, if you study the scripture carefully, I believe it teaches that Jonah died. For if Jonah did not die, Christ did not die. As Jonah, so Christ Jonah was in the belly of that fish for three days and three nights. Just exactly the amount of time that Christ would be in the grave three days and three nights. At the end of that particular time, God spoke to the fish and the fish vomited Jonah up on dry land which is a type of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Death held him and the grave held him for three days and three nights, but he came forth on resurrection day. As Jonah, so Christ. One of the great reasons why I believe Jonah died in the fish's belly, and we'll study that in this message shortly, is because when Jonah died, he went down to a certain place. And when Jesus Christ died, he went down to a certain place. He said to the thief on the cross before he died, Today, you're going to be with me in paradise. And when Jesus' body lay in the tomb on top of the earth, His soul went down to paradise to preach to the saints and to the spirits in prison. As Jonah, so Christ. So it is a very important, important man in the Old Testament. You say, well, I've never too much believed about Jonah. If you do not believe that Jonah actually lived, you're calling the Lord Jesus a liar. Because it was Christ who said, as Jonah was in the fish's belly three days and three nights, even so must the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. That's the picture of the gospel. It's one of the purposes of the book of Jonah, to present the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The second picture set forth in Jonah is how the Lord saves sinners. Jonah said, salvation is of the Lord. And don't you ever forget that. It didn't say, now God's going to help me if I help him. No, salvation is of the Lord. Jonah, in the body of that fish, said, if I ever get out of here, God's got to do it. And my dear friends, if a lost man who's born in trespasses and in sins ever comes to know Christ as Savior, God's got to do a work 
of resurrection in their heart. As Jonah, so Christ. Jonah presents the sinner's rebellion. Notice he wanted to get away from God's presence. That's what your Bible says. Notice in verse number 3 of chapter 1, Jonah. But Jonah rose up to flee under Tarshish. He wasn't going to church. He rose up to flee under Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And went down to Joppa and he found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare thereof. He went down into it to go with them under Tarshish. Again, he repeats it, from the presence of the Lord. You know, if you study the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, you find that God visited Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. They had splendid fellowship with him until the day they ate the forbidden fruit. And when they did that, when God visited them, God said, Adam, wherefore art thou? And Adam said, I hid myself. I was afraid. God said, did you eat the fruit that I told you you should not eat of? Adam tried his best to get away from the... That's the last person in the world Adam would want to see ever is the Lord coming to his home because he was trying to get away from the Lord. Now, why is that so? Let's think about this not so much as a congregation. Let's think of it as a big Sunday school class. Why do people want to get away from the presence of the Lord? Why is it that people don't like to be around God? Most unsaved people do not attend church. Let me say that again. Most unsaved people do not attend church. There are some people who have never been in the church in all of their entire life. Why is that so? John chapter 1 verse 5, and let me read it for you. This then is the message which we've heard of him and declare unto you that God is light, L-I-G-H-T, and in him is no darkness at all. Have you ever wondered why people prefer R-rated movies rather than PG movies? Why is that so? Did you know there was a time when just about everything on television, or least in the theater at that time, was rated PG? PG. Now Clark Gable blew it out of the water when he told, in Gone with the Wind, I started to say, I better not say Gone with the Wind. I think that's one of those unmentionable things we can't talk about anymore. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. And they had to do something with it. Why is it that people want dirty movies instead of clean? Why is that so? Why do we like to run from God? Why do we like to get away from God? Why is that so? John chapter 3 verses 19 through 20 could not be more clearer. 
This is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. And everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. I, over the years, have heard so many, many people say, I tell you what, I don't like these ranting and raving preachers. Always got to hold the Bible up and preach from the Bible. I like to go to church where I can feel good. You know why that's so? Because you're rotten. Let me tell you something. You'll never feel like you've been to church until God cuts you open. And you see yourself like you really are. And how wonderful and great the Lord Jesus is. Jonah presents the sinner's rebellion. Secondly, notice Jonah's direction of life was downward. Verse number 3. Jonah rose up to flee under Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And watch it. And went down to Joppa. He found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare thereof. He went down. And he keeps on saying that. He went down. He went. It didn't go up. He went down. He went down. Down was the direction of Jonah's life. If you study that passage carefully, he went down to Joppa. He went down into the ship. He further went down into the sides or the hull of the ship. He then went down into the sea. When they threw him overboard, they threw him into the sea. He went down into the fish who happened to be in the sea. He went down into the stomach of the fish. And he went down to the very bottom of the ocean. Look at Jonah 2 verse number 6. Jonah 2, verse number 6. Jonah says, I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Yet thou hast brought up my life from corruption. O Lord, my God. Jonah also, however, presents the sovereign grace of God. God stops Jonah from running. Always running from the Lord. Going down, going down. But all of a sudden, my dear friends, he stopped. He didn't go down any further. God has many ways to stop a man from running. God uses circumstances sometimes. And things that happen to get our attention And we wonder, where did that come from? Sometimes God uses things to get us to stop dead in our tracks. Has many ways to stop a man from running. And he knew exactly what to do to stop Jonah from running. Jonah came to three realizations in the fish's belly. Number one, I'm getting what I deserve. He had previously said before being thrown overboard... I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord. And he knew he was rotten to the core. He knew that was not so. I'm getting what I deserve. 
Dear friends, listen to me. God does not owe us anything. I deserve to go to hell. God is bigger than I. His whole concept began to change when his circumstances changed. Second thing he said was, I cannot save myself regardless of how much I try. Now, I don't know. The Bible is not clear in detail of that, but I imagine if a a fish the size of this particular fish swallowed me, uh, I'd be looking for a tonsil to hang on to. I mean, anything in the world I could do to get out of that fish. Jonah tried his best to solve his problem, but the more he tried, the further down he went. Could not save himself. Therefore, he came to this conclusion, if I'm saved, God will have to do it. If I'm saved, God will have to do it. What a marvelous realization for a man who doesn't know the Lord to finally see this truth, that if I'm ever saved, God's going to have to do it. It won't be my decision. It won't be my commitment. It won't be my meeting, uh, reading certain book reports and, and attending church. Okay, no, no. If I'm ever saved, God's got to do it. Read the text. Salvation is of the Lord. Read it from a Baptist Bible. Read it from a Methodist Bible. Read it from a Presbyterian Bible. Read it from a Catholic Bible. Read it from a Pentecostal Bible. And it all says the same thing. Salvation is of the Lord. If man is ever saved from his sins, God will have to do it. First of all, salvation is of the Lord in its plan. God has a plan of salvation. And it's not the Roman road. It is not four things you need to know and you can go to heaven. It's not sending a letter into the preacher saying, add me to your prayer list and I know that God's changed me. No, no. God has a plan in your salvation and in my salvation. Brother John Gill says, and when John Gill, and he's dead, 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 but he still speaks and speaks and speaks. John Gill says the Hebrew word for salvation used here in Jonah When Jonah said salvation is of the Lord, that word in the Hebrew, salvation, has an extra letter in it that does not appear any other time in the Bible where salvation is mentioned. It is to add intensity to the word. Salvation, salvation is of the Lord. This is not a deliverance from some disease. Gill says, nor is it referring to deliverance from physical death. It is not a healing deliverance, but rather a deliverance from sin. This plan was devised before the creation of the world. It was before mankind ever existed. The angels had not been created. Only God existed and devised how he would save his people. There was no one present to help the triune God out. How could God have mercy and show grace on sinners without compromising his holiness and justice? 
only by sending his only begotten son into the world to remove sin from the elect and place it upon himself and then die to pay the price of their ransom, God did that and it is his plan. Salvation is not only of the Lord in its planning, but it's of the Lord in its preparation. The sinner must be prepared if he's ever to be saved. The sinner must be prepared if he's ever to be saved. The unwilling must be made willing. The self-sufficient must become helpless. Man must see himself a hopeless sinner, and only God can do that. Very quickly, let's review. Jonah is a book of preparation. You have your Bible open to Jonah. First of all, God prepared a storm. Look at verse 4. The Lord sent out a great wind into the sea. I can hear the weather forecasters now. Mother Nature pulled one over on us this week, didn't she? No, God did that. There'll never be a storm except God sends it. There'll never be rain to fall from heaven unless God sends it. There'll never be the shining of the sun and the brilliance of the moon until God sends it. God is the creator and he brings all things to pay. He prepared a storm. God prepared a storm. Notice a prepared fish in verse number 17. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish. We've been told by some who know better that there's no way in the world that a whale could swallow a human being. Well, first of all, it didn't say it was a whale. It said it was a great fish. Second of all, my dear friends, if God made that fish, he made him big enough to swallow Jonah. I mean, where's your faith? I, I, I have no problem with it. If, it. if the Bible had said that a minnow swallowed him, I'd believe it. I have no problem with that. I'd say there's something wrong with my brains to try and figure that one out. But God said it, and I believe it. Then you've got a prepared salvation in verse 10 of chapter 2. The Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon dry land. You think God communicates with his fish? Well, he sure did that one. Does God communicate with donkeys, beasts of burden? He spoke to Balaam's ass, and Balaam's ass talked back to Balaam, right? God communicates. He made them. He can communicate with them. A prepared fish, a prepared salvation, a prepared gourd. Look at chapter 4 of Jonah, verse number 6. The Lord God prepared a gourd and made it to come over Jonah. Look at verse number 7, a prepared worm. This will tax your faith, won't it? Verse 7, the Lord prepared a worm when the next morning rose the next day, and it smoked the gourd that it withered. That worm had a tremendous appetite. Yes, sir. And then God prepared a wind. This is a special wind. It came to pass in verse 8, when the sun did arise, that God prepared a vehement 
Now that's the English word translated and used by the translators. It is a Hebrew word that means a deafening east wind. Uh, It made so much noise, it got everybody's attention. A, A vehement east wind. Now, if you're ever in a tornado, you won't forget it. And one of the features of a tornado, it gets loud and loud. And the wind is blowing harder and harder. And God did that. Did you know that God sends the storms of life? He prepared all these things. God prepares two things, however, to make Jonah willing. He prepared a storm. In that first chapter, verse number 4, But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. A prepared storm. God speaks in the storms. God speaks in the storms. I have told you, I surely I, I could not have been here this long and not told you this. My mother was scared to death of lightning. I mean, just really, really, and thunder. Uh, my daddy, uh, my daddy differed with my mom on that. He didn't fear lightning and thunder too much. My daddy feared wind. He said, "Now the lightning, if it ever hits you, you won't know it." But he said, "If wind picks you up and throws you two or three countries away, you'll know that." He didn't like the wind. God makes this storm. The Lord sent out the great wind into the sea. There was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. Do we pay attention in times of storm? One night, must have been when I was small, my brother was small, there was a tremendous storm, electrical storm. My mama was already up walking the floors and wondered why in the world we tried to sleep through it. And we had a great big trunk back in the hallway of our home in Roxburgh, North Carolina. And uh, we sat on that. She wanted to sit on it. And my mother was a little big lady. I hate to use these terms. I can't use these terms. I can't say anybody's fat anymore. Because <laughs> we're all alike. But my mother was a big woman. And uh, she wanted not only me to sit on the, uh, the, the trunk. She sat on the trunk. And my brother sat on the trunk. And uh, and my brother, he, he, he was nodding asleep almost. He couldn't keep his eyes open. And a big crack of lightning popped around and the thunder rolled and shook the house. And my brother fell off the trunk and my mother thought lightning had hit him and she had a fit. And you know what? Even animals know when God's sending a storm. Even the squirrels know it. They know when it's coming. Even the old hound dog, he'll try and get under the bed when the thunder begins to roll and the lightning begins to flash. But poor old stupid man, we like to stand out in it and say, God, let's see what you can do now. God sometimes sends storms. Sometimes he sends financial storms. 
Sometimes he sends marriage storms. Sometimes he sends health storms to get our attention. It got Jonah's attention, the storm. And then there was a prepared fish in verse 17. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now Jonah began to pray. Chapter 2, verse 1, he began to call upon the Lord. There is a difference in the fish's belly and the belly of hell. Jonah's praying. There's a difference in the fish's belly. In verse number 1, Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly. It is the Hebrew word meah, meaning abdomen. The intestinal area, the bowel area of this great fish. That's what the fish's belly is there. The next verse, however, is talking about a different thing altogether. Then said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me out of the belly of hell. And he wasn't using that as a figure of speech. He was using a Hebrew word. The Greek word is Hades, Sheol, is the Hebrew word for it. It is the place of departed spirits. Whenever a human being died in the Old Testament, hear me out on this. Whenever a human being died in the Old Testament, when death took his body, his soul had to go somewhere. And it went to a place called Sheol, Hades. When the Lord Jesus died on the cross of Calvary, they laid his body in a tomb for three days and three nights, but Jesus Christ in his soul went to Sheol, Hades. Now that changed after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul said to be absent from the flesh is to be present with the Lord, but in the Old Testament, oh saints, listen to me, Spirit, our souls had to go somewhere if we died. Now, I, I don't, my, I, I'll rush. Believe me, I'll rush. Look over to Matthew, um, uh, Acts is a good place. The book of Acts. Chapter number 2. Verses 25 through 27. Peter is preaching, this is New Testament, and he's talking about Christ. And he says in verse 25, For David speaketh concerning him, that is the Messiah. I foresaw the Lord always before my face. He is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad, because moreover my flesh shall rest in hope, because... Speaking of the Messiah, thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine Holy One to see corruption. And the Lord Jesus Christ did not see corruption, though his body was dead for three days and three nights. But he went to this place called Sheol in the Old Testament and Hades in the New Testament. Now while you're turning... Ephesians chapter number 4, verses 8 through 10. It's necessary that I read these for you. Wherefore he saith, this is Christ, 
When he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive, gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it that he first descended first into the lower parts of the earth? Where are the lower parts of the earth? That's a very important thing. That when Christ died on the cross, he descended into the lower parts of the earth. Jonah puts it this way in Jonah chapter number 2, verse 2. Out of the belly of hell, I and thou heardest my voice. Thou cast me into the deep in the midst of the seas, and the floods compassed me about. Now, if you can understand what he must have felt like going down the esophagus of this great fish, the floods, the seaweeds, the billows, the waves passed over me, then I said, I'm cast out of thy sight. I will look again toward thy holy temple. The waters compassed me about. Don't give up on me now. Verse 5, the waters compassed me about, even to the soul... The depth closed me round about. The weeds were wrapped about my head. And what happens then? I believe he died. I believe he died. What happened then? He's got to go somewhere. I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. Down to the roots of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me. Notice for. Ever, yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption, O Lord, my God. God prepared two things to make Jonah willing, a prepared storm and this prepared fish. Very quickly in closing, number three, salvation is of the Lord in its application. In its application. It was God who brought Jonah out. God who brought Jonah out. I love the wording of it. In verse number 10, And the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. He tried everything. Nothing worked. Tried to sleep, but he was awakened. Tried suicide. Asked the sailors to throw him overboard, and they wouldn't at first. But that didn't work. Man cannot save himself. By the way, I am told that the Catholic Church has a myth about St. Denis. St. Denis. They say that his head was cut off. They claim he picked it up and carried it under his arm for 2,000 miles. Someone commented, 2,000 miles is really nothing at all. It's the first step. (laughs) That is really difficult. Sinners cannot even take the first step. Jonah had been in this fish for three full days and three full nights. Had not corrupted though dead, yet he came forth when God spoke. He said, how could God do that same way he did with Lazarus? Lazarus was in the tomb dead for three days and the people outside said, better leave that alone. He's, he's stinking by now. Decomposition is set in. But the Lord said, Lazarus, come forth. He came out undefiled and uncorrupted. Jonah came out. I've heard preachers try to make Jonah look like something out of a 
science fiction book. You know, he was all white and his hair was standing on the edge and he'd been in that fish for three days and three nights. No, my dear friends, he came out with an uncorruptible body. It was a resurrection. Salvation is of the Lord in its perfection. Jonah was not only brought forth from the fish, but where did he land? The Bible says the Lord spake unto the fish and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. Now a whale, that's the biggest fish we know anything about, but this fish was even bigger than that, can only get so close to the shore because he begins to dry center and hit dead center as a matter of fact, and he he can't swim. It's, It's over with. Somewhere out in that Mediterranean Sea, God made that fish sick. And when God made that fish sick, he began to be nauseated enough to spit out. Jonah came out of that. And would it, do you think we, we're spreading, uh, stretching the truth? Maybe they were 100 yards out. Maybe they were 50 yards out. And that fish opens his mouth and boop, here comes Jonah. And notice he doesn't hit the water and God says, all right, I got you out of there. Now swim the best way you can. No, he landed on dry land. My, my. There are two conclusions to this message. Number one is very quickly salvation is of the Lord, and if that be true, then damnation is of man. Man left to himself has no way of being saved apart from God Almighty in his grace. The other conclusion is in Jonah 1, 11 through 15. Let me rush this. I hate to do it, but it is so very important. Look at verses 11 and following, Jonah chapter 1. Then said they unto him, What shall we do that the sea may be calm unto us? The sailor said, we're going to drown to death. We're going to drown. There's no way we're going to get out of this storm. In other words, they were saying what the Philippian jailer said, what must I do to be saved? What can we do to be spared? And Jonah said unto them, take me up, cast me forth into the sea, so shall the sea be calm unto you. For I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. But it didn't make any difference. The men rode hard. They did their best to bring it to the land. They could not, for the sea that wrought against them was tempestuous against them. Wherefore they cried unto the Lord and said, We beseech thee, Lord, we beseech thee, let not let us not perish for this man's life. And underscore this in your Bible. Lay not upon us innocent blood. They said, If we take Jonah's life, He's got innocent blood. The only one who ever had innocent blood was the Lord Jesus Christ. Speaks of him. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. They offered a sacrifice unto the Lord. But look at verse 15. They took up Jonah, cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from her rages. Here's the concluding remark. Jonah is a type of Christ, and one man must die if others are to be saved. They tried their best to find salvation and deliverance, and when they could not do anything else, they took Jonah and cast him overboard. And one man's death brought life 
to those sailors. That's what salvation is all about. As Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights, even so must the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. Salvation is of the Lord. Let's stand please for prayer.